from Kalaloo Studios in New York City. You are listening to Let's Take It Offline with your host, Kishana Palmer. Hey, Fab Crew. You're listening to Let's Take This Offline, the podcast for everyday leaders. Part inspiration, part set down. Let's have a conversation. Here's where you'll find the real deal about living well and leading well. I'm Kishana Palmer, your host and resident leadership whiz. What happened in the meeting after the meeting? We talk about it all on Let's Take This Offline. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and leave a comment so we can keep the conversation going. Since elected in 2018 and re-elected in 2020, Elizabeth Liz Miranda has served as state representative for the 5th Suffolk District of Roxbury and Dorchester. Representative Miranda currently serves as the vice chair of the Committee on Human Resources and Employee Engagement and serves on the Joint Committees on Community Development and Small Business, Public Safety and Homeland Security and Veteran and Federal Affairs. In her first term, Representative Miranda has filed and passed legislation to reimagine public safety, improve racial disparities in maternal health, promote environmental justice within disproportionately impacted communities, and ensure a just recovery for micro to small businesses most impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic over the last two years. As a result of Representative Miranda's COVID vaccine equity bill, Governor Baker implemented nearly all of the core tenets of the legislation remaining reimagining health to include socioeconomic determinants. As the daughter of Cabo Verdean immigrants, Representative Miranda has been a tireless advocate for immigrant rights while leading the fight for an equitable recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Prior to serving in the Massachusetts legislature, Representative Miranda was a nonprofit executive entrepreneur and community organizer, which began as a teen living in the Dudley Triangle. Representative Miranda is a Wellesley College alumna and proud graduate of Boston Public Schools, graduating from the John D. O'Brien School of Mathematics and Science. She's an active member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated Boston Alumni Chapter and the Wellesley Club of Boston. y'all it's your girl Kashana and we are back for another episode of let's take this offline the podcast for everyday leaders now listen fab crew i am so excited to be able to interview and chat with my really good friends and i told y'all i know the brightest baddest people in the whole world and so (laughs) today is no different where i listen y'all i know politicians and things i get to have one of my dearest friends and oldest friends, Representative Liz Miranda, join us here so that we can talk about something that I know y'all are all curious about, something we're calling the business of community. Liz, I'm so happy to have you here with me today. Hey, everybody. What's up, Kish? What's going on? What's going on? Got a beautiful podcast here. I'm so excited to join you. Thank you so much. Listen, I'm like fussing with these headphones. I was telling um, another guest the other day that before we started recording video, that I didn't have to worry about how I look. I didn't have to worry about a damn thing. Now I'm like, oh my God, is your lighting right? Is your lipstick right? Listen, the men don't have to worry about these things. Okay? Did you block? You Did know, you know, black women always, we have to look good or someone will talk about us. You know what I'm saying? Don't cash money about us. 
And we're going to talk about that today because I think that I, I have curiosities about that. So, you know, I would love for you to be able just to tell um, our listeners and our viewers in just a, a nutshell um, who you are and what you do in the world right now. Uh, it's so interesting because I think that I'm technically a community organizer trapped in the mob that we call politics. Oftentimes in my community, I say I join the ops and I'm infiltrating the ops um, and I'm doing a pretty damn good job of it. But I think inherently who I am is I am Maria's daughter. Um, My mom was a single teen immigrant mother from the islands of Cabo Verde, which are islands off the west coast of Africa came to Boston, dropped out of a junior year in a high school here in Boston called Madison Park, really well-known high school, to have me. And we grew up in this community um, that is called uh, Roxbury, uh, the home of New Edition. Um, And uh, it's a beautiful community. It's a beautiful, diverse tapestry, but it is a community that there are two movies about, one is called Holding Ground, one is called Gaining Ground. And there's yeah. a book called Streets of Hope about this community because we essentially were redlined, um, not treated well by the city. We were literally the city's trash uh, ground. We had more illegal trash transfer stations and 1400 parcels of vacant land. I mean, this is the epicenter of Boston's black community. And what happened is the community fought back and rebuilt their community. And so I feel like who I am has a lot to do with this story of triumph um, after tragedy. And what's led me today to politics is that same story. So 20 years after graduating from Wellesley, uh, where we got to meet each other as a member of the Zytel chapter, the extraordinary Extraordinary. chapter of Delta Sigma Theta sorority. Uh, Ace Club, if y'all want to know. When I came back to my community, you know, I could have worked anywhere. Uh, People wanted me to work in the foreign service. People wanted me to work in iBanking. It was huge then. Go to Goldman, go to Lehman. Um, But I had this calling, you know, this calling that said, you know, go back to your neighborhood. You know, kids like you need to see young women like you know that you can go to school and come back and make a difference. And so I spent 15 years in community building work, uh, entrepreneurship, philanthropy, youth development, um, college. Okay, Liz, you were doing it before (laughs) it was the hot thing. You know, community work isn't sexy, but you know, I just bet on it and I didn't get paid nothing. Oh my God. So so I started businesses to, you know, essentially rob Peter to pay Paul without robbing people because I have integrity. But the idea was that um, I wanted young girls like me to know that it was possible. You know, I didn't know until I got to college that it was possible. You know, when I used to tell people I was from Roxbury, you know, they looked at me funny. Um, When I talked about my mom, being a cook in Boston hotels, and she's still a cook today, and talk about being a black immigrant um, in this country and what that experience is. Growing up in a neighborhood where you're a black woman, but you also have an ethnic uh, background of people who you know came here um, to seek a better life. And so my story really right now 
I'm a two-term state representative in Massachusetts. Yay, yay, yay. It's so hard to run for politics. And um, there's only four Black women in the entire Massachusetts legislature out of 200 legislators. And in the history of Massachusetts, we were one of the first governments in this country since 1636. They've only been about 13, 14 Black women, period. So it's an honor and a privilege and a huge responsibility to be where I'm at. But I would not have been here because I did not feel that this was for me until 2017 when my brother was killed. And that that was the turning point. I remember booking it up to Boston, y'all. And Liz sent me a text and was like, (laughs) get here. And I was less. I remember seeing you and my line sisters and Boston alumni chapter and all these deltas. You know, when you pledge an organization, people tell you these things. They tell you that your life after becoming uh, a member, that it will be a lifelong sisterhood. And not not saying that I didn't believe all that, but it was hard. And it gets a little tough. (laughs) It's a little tough. You know, when you're making women when you're 18, 19, when you're being told um, that you're going to do all these great things and you're like, I just want to graduate. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to get out, okay? Like, I'm, I'm just trying to get out of these PWIs because. and not, like, lose my hair. Exactly. And, you know, like, I'm just trying to get out of there. I'm just trying <laughs> to get out of there. But Michael's death propelled me to think of myself differently to see where I could help other families that were suffering with homicide. And so after uh, his birthday, which was October, which is in a few days, um, he was killed in August of that year. After October of 2017, I said to myself that I needed to demand more and demand better. And so part of my work was like, well, what do I do next? Like what, I was already an executive director of a youth nonprofit. I had been trying to save young people since I graduated college and people were still dying. And so I learned that the state house was where they made laws and when they, where they got resources for communities. And so I ran, I ran for office. I took a boot camp over a weekend. Uh, my sorority sisters, shout out to Christy and Natalie, my profite and my LS, who are my campaign manager and treasurer. Sis, we did it. We not only did it and we won, um, we beat a whole field of men and we set records. I won in every ward and precinct and 10,000 people came out to vote. And that was a record in a primary. And I think what's so important when we think about leadership, you know, from before we even knew what the words were, because I feel like growing up when your when your mom was like, you need to be a leader and not a follower. That's where it started. Right. Like with the idea that don't you follow the crowd. If your friends were going to jump off a bridge, would you too? And you're like, what kind of question is that? But also as you continue to grow, continuing to be in the front and continuing to step forward and you're like, okay, nobody's going to do it. I do it, you know, and learning how to have that, kind of that hustle and that chutzpah and that drive when you aren't necessarily sure like what that outcome is going to be, but you're like, I know I've got to do something. So by the time you got to your brother's passing in 2017, you had more than enough like opportunities to step up to the plate 
in big ways and small ways to be able to flex your muscles around what it meant to be a leader. And then- but I didn't know, you know, that's the thing you're talking about leadership, right? So we know that leadership is both a privilege and a responsibility, but yes. I knew three things, but one of those things really scared me. The yes. three things that I knew, um, and I say one of them every day, I say I'm worthy enough and I belong. You know, every day I say you are worthy, you are enough, you belong. Right. Because I'm entering a space that has been white male dominated um, since yeah. the beginning of the, the founding of this country, right? Yeah. Um, two, I knew that I needed hope, heart, and hustle. You know, I think Ooh. about Barack, hope, heart, and hustle. Come on, listen, y'all. Put Write that down, my friends. Because you, you can't buy heart. And one of the things that I always was trying to figure out, you can't buy it, okay? Not buy it, y'all. Listen. But the third thing that I knew for sure that scared me was that I didn't see anybody that looked like me or not enough in public office that I thought that like the fact that I didn't know how to write a bill and mind you, I passed three bills already. So bung, 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 um, that I didn't see people like me that I knew that there was bro privilege. And I think we need to talk about this. Like, you know, like this whole bro privilege and, and what they don't understand is that a lot of times you hear leaders who are white and male and cisgendered talk about like how they had to work hard yes. to get where they're at. Right. And we hear this a lot, particularly from working class white people, where there's a lot of working class oh. white people here in Boston. And I what they don't mean when I was in college and in grad school that I was like, oh, there's a whole different. Oh, OK. So continue, you know? No, you're telling me you learn it in college, you learn it in grad school, you learn it in community. I realized that I had seen this my entire life. And it subconsciously, even though I had excelled, like I became a Delta, I was president of this and that in college and high school. I had graduated from Wellesley writing a thesis. You know, like I did it. You did but it. when I came back home, you know, a lot of working class white men, cisgendered, had this analogy of like, oh, I've, I've picked myself up from the bootstraps, right? Yeah. But that's not true. That's not true. When you all, your, your, own your uncle, your daddy, right. your dad's friend, um, where you're located and you grow up and this community that provides you opportunity while my community didn't have the opportunities to give me. When you talk about your mother telling you not to be a follower and be a leader, we were also the girls in schools that got straight A's. And right. every report card I have up until fifth grade said, Elizabeth is great, but she talks too much. I mean, I, literally, you know that, that when I say that's our story, Liz, every single time, and it was so bad. Tell me what's happened to you. It was so bad that when I was in junior high school, I remember this so clearly. Mr. Feldman, wherever you are, retired, I hope. Would he would call my mama regularly and tell my mother to, that I was talking too much in class, and he even asked her to come to the school because he had to talk to her about my talking. And I remember my mom coming up to that school. She had to take time off from her job. Okay, she had a union job. She worked at the hospital as a phlebotomist, and she had to take time off of work to come to the school for this man to tell my mama that I talked too much. And she said, "Is Kashana being disruptive to the classroom?" No. Is Kashana causing any problems for you and or anybody in the class? No. Is Kashana's grade suffering as a result of the chit chat? No. Is she distracting you? 
No, she's really just annoying. Okay. And she was like, don't call me anymore. Do not call me anymore. If you can't find something for Kashana to do to put her talking to good use, that is on you. Okay. And so, you know what they made me do? I became the morning announcer for school. Oh my God. You have that radio voice just like me. I mean, the thing was, it ain't my fault that I knew the answers. It ain't my fault. You know? <laughs> my mom, my teen immigrant high school dropout mother who was a cook, invested in me so much that I was in K Zero. I was filled with books. That's right. And by the time I was in first and second grade, my my you know neighborhood friends who went to my neighborhood school, they they were not exceeding at the level that I was. And I often think about how that stuck with me in middle school, where I shrunk and did bad academically and hanged with the wrong crowd for a couple of years because I was trying to find myself. Ooh, and it away. stuck with me in high school because I didn't want to shine too much. Right. You don't you want know? to be too much. And people kept telling you, you're too much. She's smart, but she's too much. Too much. She, she's great, but a little too much. I remember a job interview, and this I know this will hit you, that uh, a good friend of mine was the recruiter for this particular organization. And she told me offline, girl, you don't need to, you don't need to come work here. They like you, but they said that you, um, you're very shiny. You're a little bit much. Oh, because I came to the entire process ready, dressed, fresh. Ready. To go. Red to go. Okay. Okay. Oh, you want a portfolio of all my giving for the last 10 years? Boom. Oh, you want to know what I'm going to be doing with this plan? In a portfolio, copied for everyone. Okay. You What, what do you need? Oh, you need a deck? Oh, because a deck. no one can shine more than the bro. Hello. And that's the thing about leadership is that more women would run for office if, for example, childcare expenses were paid by campaigns. More women would run for office yeah. if when women do get in office, they don't get badgered, harassed, stalked, um, spoken about poorly. Look at what they're doing to AOC. Yeah. Just because she has a different outlook. And, and I'm in politics. Look, men disagree all the time. But what happens is they're able to disagree and still go share a cigar and go on the golf course together and maybe, you know, mix their families up for a family outing. Right. As soon as a black woman who is carefree decides that she's going to stand for something other than what they think you should stand for, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you get ostracized. And it just takes one time. Just one time. It just takes one time to say. Social capital. I want something different or I need something different. Here I am, the person who is a state rep for black women out of 200, so that's 2%. So nationally, black women in legislatures make up 4.8% and Massachusetts said 2%, okay? This liberal, wealthy commonwealth that has the first and the best of almost everything. So mind you, I'm 2% of the population I have the most of color district in the whole state. I have one of the poorest. I have the highest homicide rate. I, COVID killed a lot of people in my community, not just get COVID. Like people are not talking about the yeah. impact. Like I lost my grandmother, I lost you know, yeah. and every day in this community. impact, And you had to keep. Keep going. Oh my gosh. Like it was almost surreal. 
that the expectation that folks had that like patting you on the shoulder, I'm so sorry, but about this meeting on Friday, like not even having the space to grieve. And I said, I remember saying this. So unless I fall apart, have a complete breakdown, become undone at the seams, is that the only way that I get to signal boost that I too need a break, need to be able to grieve, have space to be human? And, that's and I will say this, that there's a lot of books on leadership. Yeah. And I've read a lot of them. I've also read a lot of self-care books. And I joined as many organizations that I thought could help me advance and excel and expand as not only uh, a leader in my community, in my state, but also as a woman. And what I found is none of that mattered. And that is why when I speak to anyone about leadership, I talk about that you are worthy, you are enough, and you belong. And I talk about hope, heart, and hustle because those are the things affirming that I am in the place and doing the assignment that I've been called to do. Yeah. And two, knowing that I inherently have this you know, hood girl heart that has gone through so much in my life that's transformed, that's transcended, that's triumphed through so much, actually is the thing that keeps me going. It isn't my Wellesley degree. It isn't my certificates from Harvard or Tufts. It's not anything that I heard on a TED Talk. It is just about understanding that as a Black woman, as the most disrespected person in the world, because we get it from everybody. 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 We don't talk about that too, but we get it from our We get own. it from white women. Yes, we, we get do. it from black men. We get it from white men. We also get it from other people that are marginalized differently because when we started saying and being glorified about black girl magic to help ourselves heal and deal, heal and deal. people were angry. Comfortable. Uncomfortable, angry. Well, what about our magic? And I'm like, wait a minute, y'all have this magic. Y'all, y'all seem to end up everywhere we want to be. You don't seem to really be struggling to get to the place you want to get to, friend. Okay. And those are the things that when you talk about grieving, yeah, I didn't realize that I was running on adrenaline. You know, once I won, and I had this time between the primary and my election, my general election, was the only second time that I had cried um, over my brother's loss. And I went right to work. And when my grandmother died and 20 members of my family got very ill with COVID, including myself, I was like, wait a minute, this job title doesn't shield me from the reality of this community, right? And so, the third time I cried, and I, I'm just saying this because I think y'all, you know, I'm a sensitive person. I'm a cancer. I'm yeah. very, very emotional. Yeah, I'm like, you are very sensitive. <sighs> you feeling things in here. Are you a Gemini? I am a Gemini. Yeah. I'm not before your birthday. Woohoo! You know, people are right. like, but know. cancers, you know, and I had realized that in the last four years that I had not had, yeah, like a weeping, healing cry. And if it wasn't for, and I would just say this, because if there's any black woman or any woman who's watching this, the Nat Ministry saved my life. Girl Trek 
saved my life. Black girl therapy saved my life. Um, Honey pot products saved my life. Like I honestly could not have gone through what I went through. And now I'm 34 months in office. And if it wasn't for these things that I use to heal and deal, I would not have been able to perform at the way that I want because we're, we're in systems where it doesn't matter if you're brilliant. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. To your point, your brilliance does not protect you from any of what I would say the battering ram across your personal life, across your professional life, across your intellectual life, right? Because you have to be an academician as well. You have to be versed on statistics and on policy and on history of policy and of the undercurrent of the relationships that don't make it to the textbook. And have the strategy to get to what we call like 80 plus one, you know, the house has 160 members, but you have to be a a strategic thinker. You have to be a a person who knows how to negotiate because you don't get to anything. And, you know, I'm so happy that I'm here in the state house because I'm a survivor. Only two people in the state house had lost loved ones to gun violence. And we both happened to be black women. I also had a father and a brother who was incarcerated and deported. And I'm happy to announce today that my last sibling who was incarcerated, which made me the only uh, representative in Massachusetts that had a sibling in the Massachusetts Department of Correction while I'm writing legislation to end mass incarceration is my brother was set free yesterday. Oh, and he was set free, but over sentenced. And, and I think about every day, all the people that I've tried to help in the Massachusetts DOC and knowing that I represent a very unique base and they did not send me to the state house to play play. Okay. <laughs> we did not come to play with y'all. Okay. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back in a few. We have all been there. Losing a team member is like throwing money in the trash and putting it outside for pickup. In fact, according to my most recent deep dive on these internet streets, according to the research, you can lose up to $200,000 in revenue and a lot of time when you don't make a great hire and your team members, well, they leave. So how do you find amazing talent and create the conditions for them to stick? If you've ever had a hard time hanging on to your team, you're looking for new strategies to help your team grow, or you're ready to level up as a manager and leader, then I have something for you. Sticky Teams, a private podcast just for everyday leaders, people managers, business owners, and folks who are looking to do talent management right so that you can recruit, retain, and develop great employees. I'm going to help you keep them engaged and make sure all of this aligns with the strategy and goals of your organization. The days of hiring and firing, 
of finding them and losing them are gone. Dig on in to Sticky Teens over at Kashanaco.com. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and leave a comment so we can keep the conversation going. Now, let's head back to Let's Take This Offline. Like that, and, and think about it. And lots of folks get into politics for lots of reasons. Just like, you know, my background is in fundraising before I got into leadership development and organization um, development design work. It was all about relationship building and strategy and getting folks to invest and getting folks to believe in mission. And when I showed up to the party, I didn't have multiple bites at the apple. Okay. And so the young people that I was bringing the transformational gifts for into the organization, we don't have two shots at this thing. Like I got to get it right. And getting it right also felt like a moving target. Yeah. And so each time you get closer to what you think is, okay, I think I figured this thing out. I think I got my stride. I got my, wait a minute. There's another two step I didn't learn. Hold on. You know? And so you having to constantly play chess, also play quick pickup basketball, also have an elbow ready when you need it, also be in order, right? Like there's so many things that you have to do. And the thing that we don't talk about enough, particularly when we see amazing individuals like you who are representing the places that they are from, is that you actually have, and you just said it, a responsibility to the community that you come from. So I'm curious about some of the the places that you've had to navigate, the conversations you've had to navigate at home, in your community, what people expect you to do. Who's coming up to you going, now, Liz, I've known you since you were eight. So I would like to know what you are going to do about this stop sign on my street. You're like, actually, I'm not the person that way. <laughs> Let me get it. So talk to me about that. Like, okay. been- I have a lot about that because tell me. That's what I, want to I feel like, you know, at times I'm a city councilor and a state rep, because when you're a leader, particularly in a new space where the community doesn't understand the difference, yeah. uh, you help everybody with everything. Oh my God. In the first year with COVID, I called 3,000 residents in my community. I was able to feed them um, because I knew that there were three things that people needed right away when COVID hit. One was information in their own language. Right. Two was the resources, the cash resources. So I, I filed a bill and I was happy to see the federal government come in with cash assistance because people needed that because my community our jobs were disproportionately service jobs and 30% of those jobs haven't come back yet. So these are the people that clean your hospital or make your food or drive that bus. And they were out of a job and they were people that needed, they weren't just one check away from total destruction. They were one shift, one shift away, one One shift shift away. And what is the difference? Because like some folks who have not worked a shift job, since they were in high school when they were working at the Dairy Queen, okay? Because people don't understand. It's not about, first of all, most people in this district, the median income is 17 to $33,000, okay? And the only reason why it's as high as 33 now, maybe inching towards 35 is because gentrification, making urban communities cool has been um, 
going on for the last 10 to 15 years where Harlem and Brooklyn aren't recognizable. You know, when I was going down to Brooklyn and I lived in Crown Heights for a year and people were calling it Crow Hill, I was like, what's going on with you people? But the point, I digress a little bit, but the point I'm making was that cash assistance, PPE, information, testing, vaccinations, and food became priority. And I knew how to do that because I had been a community organizer. And so when you talk about Ms. Jenkins or Ms. Jones calling me about making a street one way or making uh, slower streets or dealing with vacant lots, I take that on because I understand that a blighted community is a depressed community. And I understand that a depressed community is one that is violent. And And poverty, take that in. Yeah. Because I knew that because I grew up here. I knew what it was like to be five years old and wanted to run away or be 10 years old and want to run away because I would watch novellas with my grandmother, even though she couldn't speak Spanish and neither could I. Spanish was the closest thing to our dialect of Portuguese that we spoke. And I would watch the novellas and I'd be like, that's not what my house looks like. Right. That's not what my school looks like. You know, and I walked past these vacant lots and the trash, uh, heard the gunshots and the ambulances, wished I had my dad, wished my brothers weren't locked up. All these things as a little girl stuck with me. And so the thing that I will say to anybody that's thinking about leadership, particularly in government, is to know that you could tell people a million things what you're going to do. You could tell people you're going to run to do a million things, you know, improve jobs, improve economic development, schools, all that. People do not care. People care that you'll lead with integrity, that you'll respond to them, and that you'll work incredibly hard to help them. And that is the thing. So when Miss Shirley calls me or Miss Jones, um, or Miss Jenkins or whoever, or Mr. Pina or Mr. Cardoso or uh, Mr. Hernandez or a young person. If somebody picks up the phone and calls you, you're like, what do you need again? I make sure that I do two things. If I can't help them, I'm connecting them with someone who can and then I'm following up. And so when you're talking about this, like there is no job description. You know, like people are like often like, you know, well, you're a legislator, you write laws and you get money for your community. Well, that's two of the things I do. But constituent services and championing causes are the other two. And they're even more important. The work that I've done in maternal care, even though I'm not a mother and birthing justice has moved Massachusetts closer. You know, the fact that black women are still dying here in Massachusetts, two times the rate, 2.5 times the rate of white women. when We have the best economic status, even with the best health, even with the best schools, even with the best jobs. That's telling me there's racism in our health care. And I don't want to die when I go have my baby. That's right. I don't want to have to have postpartum depression without the resources. And we have been going through this because the bottom line is people don't want to listen to black women. They think we're super strong. And when you were talking about it earlier, people offer us two paths to our success. That's it. Either you're going to be the strong black woman and take all the shit and just keep moving. 
and go crazy yes. and your back hurt, your head hurt, okay. you're holding weight in your gut because that's where black women hold their pain. Hold our weight. Hello. Come on. And on their own, okay. And like you know, Salon said, you could try to dance it away, drink it away, love it away. It's not going away. Or you have to be someone that you're not to make it this far to figure out how you help your family and your community. Yes. And I just want to say to everyone that there is a different way, and the way is not going to come through making people value us or understand us. It's about us helping us. And I just want to say something to sisters that's really important. And I learned this when I pledged Delta Sigma Theta. I had so many friends. (laughs) Sorority Incorporated. Incorporated. (laughs) I had so many friends of other organizations. I had so many friends that weren't members of any uh, Black Greek organization. And there were people that I didn't like personally. Okay. People I didn't like personally in my chapter. There are people I personally didn't like in the organization, in other organizations, and in my school, in other schools. But we need each other. And so it's not a popularity contest. You don't have to love everyone to work with them to advance the cause of Black liberation and Black development and upliftment. And I think that's where we get stuck is that we think in building community it means that we have to be all under the same beat of every drum. And that's not true. That's not true. Respect goes a long way. Care goes a long way in understanding that we are different, but we can still get to the goal together. And that's very important in politics because I am very progressive. And sometimes uh, people challenge me on those things, right? Because how far left are you going to go? Well, I want to go as close to freedom as I possibly can. Come on. You know? Listen, but, come on. Talk about it. And it's, uh, and again, like we said, like I said earlier, it's across so many modalities. I think when we think about being a leader and leadership in general and being a, being in front, I think folks forget like all the books you mentioned before. The other day I was doing a talk and I wanted to find some quotes on leaders from leadership, right? Now I can pull quotes from you. I can pull... And I, I literally typed in the hundred best quotes on leadership and culture, right? I figured I'd get a bunch of stuff, some old, some new. So I said, ooh, articles from 2020 and 2021. Oh, this is going to be good. A hundred quotes, 83 of them were from white men. So what you're saying to me is that there is not a woman, a black woman, a Latina, an indigenous woman, a South Asian, Southeast Asian, a mashup. There's no... So no, mash up. Mash up. We all mashed up. We all mashed up. I mash up. I saw the Callaloo. Okay. I saw the Callaloo. Okay. I'm a whole Jamaican woman. I should eat some saltfish in this morning. Maybe if I had some, I'd be a little stronger this morning. We get on a little break and we can sneak you down to New York City. Now, my mama is here for you. <laughs> um, but, you know, like the fact that I, that it's still such a white bro culture, like there's an inherent intelligence bias, an inherent expert bias. You don't have to know a damn thing. But we have to be degreed, certified, excellent. Okay? Excellence is a baseline for being able to peek in the window. And even when you peek in the window, they'll shut the blinds. Listen, then you got to be likable and ooh, you might, people not going to tell it, but listen, I'm going to say it, and pretty. 
Oh, you think it doesn't fall? It doesn't escape me that if I wasn't a beautiful woman, that things wouldn't go different for me? Or if my weight was more white normative? Or it's like the number of things that we have to navigate. So pathway one, excellence as an opportunity to look in the window. Suffer internally, no one cares. What's pathway number two? You said they were two pathways. Not being authentic. You know, so the other the other place is like you then start to dimmer um, your light. You start to try to fake it till you make it. You try to put yourself in circles that so people can give you acceptance. Right. And 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 here's this thing. The bedrock of this country is on the backs of black and indigenous people. That's right. Right. The economy of this nation that built many of these institutions, primarily the colleges, government halls um, and hospitals or film, uh, the operas, whatever those buildings are, came from immigrants or came from people who were enslaved, who were taken from Africa, who were not slaves in their home countries, and then came here um, to work on tobacco and sugar and cotton, you know? And the indigenous people were sold right along us, and they were here in this country first. And here in Massachusetts, it is a, a Wampanoag word, a land of the great Blue Hills. Everything in Massachusetts, if you take a turn, you'll notice its connectivity to the tribes that made this state what it is that were wiped out by um, the Puritans and the pilgrims when they came. I'm saying all of that because sometimes we're told that it's almost like we just got here. Right. And in Massachusetts, black people have been here since 1637 and that's what's documented. But if we really wanted to go further back, we probably will find that um, in the indigenous culture, that there were people who came um, before. And I'm saying all of this, not just to say we're on stolen land and give black people and indigenous people their props because they're still very much enslaved in this country um, because things just changed. Slavery just changed to Jim Crow laws. Civil rights movement is the precursor to the Black Lives Matter. I'm saying all that because we have to understand that those two pathways are not healthy for us. And I know this because when I got to Wellesley, I realized that I had a choice. That's right. I could be like, I'm a black woman and I'm here and I'm not going to diminish who I am and where I come from, even though you're ridiculing me. Or I could have fit in and I didn't fit in. And just this year in June. Woo, talk about what happened this year in June. Because okay. wait, wait, before, wait, wait, before you, before you drop, <laughs> before you drop it, let me, let me set the stage for y'all. Let okay. Set the stage for y'all. So I was there when Liz was in college, as Liz is two, a year, two years younger than I am. And I'm Liz's profile, so I brought Liz into this organization. So I've literally seen this since the day she set foot on Wellesley's campus. Okay, that's it. So Liz was on campus doing all of the big things. I'm talking about talks, bringing speakers to campus. Outcast, the roots. Outcast, <laughs> the roots. Liz was one of the biggest party promoters, event producers in Boston for well over 18 years, to be clear. I'm talking about party venues, club venues, you know, your, 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 your big theater venues. If there was a building 
that has <laughs> the stage and the sound system. Let's put people in it. Period. So you gonna tell all my all my gossip? You gonna just gonna tell everything? Yes and no, but Liz, Liz, because <laughs> you just know how to bring people together. Because people think that community organizing is only about protesting oppression. Yeah. It you also know how to galvanize joy. Right? We need to be carefree. Why can't we eat and drink and dance in our own communities? Exactly. So you were doing that on campus at a time where respectability politics didn't even have that phrase yet. But that's what we were being taught to do and rewarded for doing. Yeah. Okay. And, and I want to tell you, be free. You know, the thing is that all these years, I'm 41. And I can tell you that the freest I've ever been was when I turned 40. And I just think that I gave myself permission to not be um, beholden to anyone else's narrative of who I was supposed to be. You know, I have had a challenging time in elected office because we're not perfect. We don't run for office. I know I did it because I needed a title change or I needed people to look at me a certain way. I actually... Um, really am focused on essentially running my own race. And so earlier this year, people think that like running for office was my biggest honor. And even I'm, I'm, what I'm about to say is I think the honor of a lifetime that I was able to deliver Wellesley's 143rd commencement address Mm. To share the same stage that Whoopi Goldberg, Oprah, Maya Angelou, Anita Hill, Hillary Clinton, uh, Chimamanda. I could go on and on of the people, particularly women, who have stood on that stage to tell um, women and non-binary people that they can they can make a world. And. I just thought about like 24 years ago when I walked on that campus with a hoodie, with a triple fat goose and a scully. Yeah. And I told everyone my, I went to O'Brien High and they didn't know where that was because they had gone to Miss Porter's boarding school or Exeter or Andover or had came from an, a top tier school across the country. I lied that my mom was a chef when she was a cook. Um, When people asked about my dad, I never said he was incarcerated or deported. And I brought all of that pain. And this is why I started this uh, podcast with you about that you can turn your pain into power. You can literally take your tragedies and build a ladder to triumph. And when I sat on that stage and heard those students, um, and sometimes it was deafening silence because they understood what it meant for me to be on that stage after the racial reckoning and the multiple pandemics we went through together, because it wasn't just about COVID. It was about housing, economics. Okay. And um, I just 40 plus, man. Woo. I don't even know what you're about to do with this next decade. Cause I feel like you are, you ran a practice lap the last, the last decade, a practice lap. And now you're like, Ooh, ooh, ooh. Pull over, Margaret. Pull over, Margaret. Listen, you are just getting warmed up. and But just let's sit in the power of that, right? And going back to what I said earlier about the expectations as Ms. Jenkins has of you fixing the stop sign feels no different to me than the expectation that a young woman would have when they see you like, oh, she's from two blocks over from where I grew up, from where I'm walking right now. Oh, they're not 15,000 empty lots. 10? 9? 
eight, as the numbers start to go down with the work you're doing, that that weight that you're carrying is heavy. And yet you're doing it not from the first way you described, not from the second way you described, but the third way. And that is being unapologetically yourself. That is bringing the best of what you learn in that first way. Because people think that there is not power in that assimilation, uh, performative stuff that we had to learn to survive. There's power in that too. You know, we figure it out too. And so you're doing this and doing it well. And so I'm curious about um, what's next in terms of thinking about how you continue to show up and show out for the community. Where's your head at? And what are you thinking is going to be necessary to stay authentically you dialed in, but also like really like demonstrate this is what leadership looks like. You know, I know that I never wanted to be in office for a very long time, but because we know that um, passing legislation and moving mountains that took hundreds of years to create will take a few more years to address I think that I have three real pathways and I'm actually in the middle of thinking of which one I'll take. I haven't made a decision, but part of me wants to be a mom and um, start my family. And uh, my father's very ill and I've been thinking a lot about what it will look like to spend his last few moments with him. Um, Two, I've thought about staying a representative and I'm doing really well. I got a promotion. I passed three bills or helped two in my first term. I'm now a vice chair. Shout out to that. Out to that. See how wait, wait, this is what we don't do on this podcast. We, <laughs> we slow down at the accomplishment portion of the program. And then we try to drop down to get you eagle on, girl. Hey, drop down to get you. You know, we actually, we're, we're doing do the brown. Do the brown. I think we strolled to about just about anything. Just about and anything. Oh my gosh. I was showing, <laughs> I was showing the Queen Age the Quiet Storm tonight. Vibrant you. thing. And vibrant quiet thing. storm. Listen, quiet storm and vibrant thing. If that ain't Zytel. If Zytel Delta didn't work that for you. Damn. I don't know. <laughs> And you know what's so funny is like sometimes like I digress, but like I literally when I'm having a hard day, I say something you're probably going to kill me because I got to say it. Right. Uh, And then I'll let it go. Um, He's like, I am the one duck, always on the run duck, inquisitive and fast. I get things done. But, you know, I will keep it right there and let it go. Um, And those who know will know. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I've I've done got out of the chapter twenty five years ago, but um, the thing that um that the second thing lets me know it is okay to yeah. sit in a place where you've done well and maintain that 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 is a thing. You know, I feel like I've been chasing things my entire life, and it's okay if I just do well and contribute what I can in this place. But the third opportunity is that potentially could run for Senate or another position. And I've been helping a lot of women, particularly BIPOC women, win their races, even though I'm not on the ballot this year. um, Boston has a really major mayoral election where we elect our first woman ever and first woman of color. And um, the city council's already changed because when there's one person that steps up, You know, our steps are ordained that we always reach back and make sure other people come after us. So with that being said, Delta helps me so much. You see my little, you know, I want to thank 
<clears throat> my Sigma brothers have kept this since oh God, 2001. Wait, you see my, hold on, wrong hand. You see my And right. I'm still mad at you at my line name, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> you earned that name. I just want you to know. Okay, all right. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Liz, okay, so before we get out of here, I want to make sure, because we could talk all day, but listen, yeah. the good thing about having friends in high places is that they will pick up the phone when you call y'all. The, the challenging things, they're like, call but also hard stop. Um, and so I want to do like a little quick popcorn, if I can, of some questions that I have that I ask everyone um, who hangs out with me on the podcast. Okay, so what is your secret talent? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really have a secret talent. No, you don't. I think... I think my greatest gift has led me to my greatest talent is that like, I'm a very personable person and people often ask me like, how am I super cool with like Republicans and get things done? Everybody. I think that I just bring a a good spirit to spaces. So I say that my talent is coordinating people. Yes. I'm a good radio personality. I think my talent is uh, I've been able to transcend many different industries. Absolutely. Without having to be a chameleon, you're able to be yourself, but you are a kaleidoscope, right? You're able to keep turning that dial. Um, And I love that. Okay, what's your biggest pet peeve with leaders and in leadership right now? I think it's this idea of this bro thing where people say they make lots of money telling people it's blood, sweat, and tears that got them where they got, and it's hard work. Mm -hmm. And there is a privilege in being a white, cisgendered male. And, you know, that there have been opportunities afforded to you based on the family that you have. Um, And that goes for unions all the way to college presidents and CEOs, you know? So this whole thing that I, I just would like them to be honest. Like I am mad at y'all because that's how this country was founded, but at least keep it 100. Keep it 100. Be like, you know what? Just be like, I know that I have privilege. Me as a black woman, when I show up in my community, I tell people I have privilege. You know why? Because I went to one of the best colleges in the world. And so I don't show up anymore like Lizzie, who went to public schools, because all this opportunity in education has given me privilege. It's open doors. Just keep it 100. Keep it 100. Keep it 100. Your uncle got you the job. Like, let people know. And you didn't mess it up. Or you did, but you got another chance because it was your uncle. Like, be clear. And that is your affirmative action. Be clear. Okay. What's your go-to song when you're getting ready to go into session, you're getting ready to go into a big meeting? Oh, it's so inappropriate. Too short. What's my favorite word? I can say it. You don't have to say it. No, Um, no, I have like a lot of music. Actually, music, I think that I have a very eloquent, you know, way of presenting like what I like, but I listen to music all the time. And um, I would say that it's one of my favorite songs. Yeah, listen, first of all, mine, I told you, Nelly. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, and, and the song is actually not called "Drop Down to Get Your Eagle On," but that's how everybody knows no. it. Mary J. Blige, I think, from oh, a close second. Um, anything in this dancery, you don't need no hateration or holleration. <laughs> and you know, there's one song I've been playing a lot by Tiana Taylor. We made it. You oh. know, just oh. 
trying to take stock of celebrating and joy has been really hard. So whenever I play her song, I'm just like, yo, we made it. We made it. Listen. So, y'all, I can talk to Liz all day. Wait a minute, there's one more question I heard you were going to ask me. Well, there's another question I'm going to ask you. Something about a TV show? Yes. Oh, how could I forget? This is because I'm so enamored by you. I really worked on this one. Okay. So, what is the TV show. Let's hear it. I think that I am a cross between Khadija from Living Single and Gina from Martin. Now, oh I ain't got a man, so I can't be like, you know, Gina, but like, I'm literally those two women combined. And so Living Single, I mean, 227, Different World, like those are all my shows. First of all, you actually are a mashup of those characters. Think about it. I'm a mashup of Khadijah and freaking yeah, Gina. Wow. You're a mashup. That, that's 100% spot on. So I put that I am a mashup between uh, Claire Huxtable and Blanche Devereaux. Okay? Okay? Somebody mama. Blanche. Darling. Blanche. Okay? <laughs> I love it. Liz, thank you so much for hanging out with me today on the podcast. This was so, so informative. I'm going to drop um, all of Liz's contact information and her socials so that you can stay connected to her in the social in the social sphere, on the social media and the internet streets. Liz, what is the best way, if folks want to connect with you, that they can do that? And I will also include that in the show notes below. Uh, it's Liz at LizMiranda.com and Miranda spelled like Miranda writes. You can go to LizMiranda.com and at Rep Liz Miranda on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, that's the best way. And if we want to talk deeper, if you're from Massachusetts or you want to get in politics, I offer uh, I'll offer off my cell phone for a quick coffee Zoom um, because none of us make it without all of us and so thank you all you know I love you purse thank you for I love you so much listen friends this has been another exciting episode of let's take this offline the podcast for everyday leaders I want to make sure that you all keep it locked if you like what you heard today please like this thing (laughs) hear this thing and subscribe let folks know that we talk about the Right. And share it with all the people. When you see this and you're a friend of ours or not a friend of ours and you appreciated it, just share it. You know, you never know. Someone could be waiting for a message that comes out of here. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we will talk soon. Like what you heard and need a little bit more of this in your life? Well, I want you to head on over to Kish Camp, my virtual camp for stressed out managers who are looking to manage people better and lead with confidence. You can head over to Kish Camp at www.kishcamp.co.